Thanks for tuning in to How's Things, a podcast from the David A. Howe Public Library. I'm your host, Nick Gunning. Today's interview might actually be a record holder for the longest period of time between when we initially started chatting about doing the interview and the date we actually recorded it. But I got to tell you, it was worth the wait because we had a good chat. My guest today is author Jason Fry. Jason spent over a decade as a journalist with the Wall Street Journal before turning his hand to fiction, and he since moved on to writing in the worlds of Star Wars, Minecraft, and his own original creations like the Jupiter Pirates. We cover all that and more in this interview recorded back in November, so give it a listen. Jason, thanks for joining us here at the David A. Howe Public Library this week. Thanks for having me. This is a treat. Yeah, good. Well, I wanted to start a little bit with uh, some of your Star Wars work because it's extensive and it it covers a lot of ground as far as ages and and what kind of work that you do. But I want to talk about one that's more recent. Uh, I've had this book club with my friends for a couple years now where we alternate between Star Trek and Star Wars. And right now we just happen to be reading, and it wasn't even my pick, Star Wars The Clone Wars Stories of Light and Dark. And that anthology kicks off with your Yoda story. So can you tell us a little bit about that, your involvement in it? Oh sure, yeah. Um, it, it was a it was a bucket list thing for me, honestly, because while I have a lot of Star Wars credits, I had never really had a chance to write Yoda oh, outside okay. of a little bit in the Last Jedi uh-huh. novelization. Uh-huh. So that was that was really exciting, and it's not, you know, my story uh, sharing a, a, the same face in that book is is pretty much a straight adaptation of a, a wonderful Clone Wars episode, yeah. Ambush. So, you know, it wasn't like I was making up my own dialogue or anything like that. But uh, what I really loved about it was a chance to go inside Yoda's head yeah. and let us see his thoughts, his attitudes toward the clones, um, and just his attitudes toward himself. This is someone with a the kind of long life we can't possibly imagine. Sure. And, you know, what is experiencing the force like for him? Mm-hmm. And that was just so much fun to explore. And I was really I was really grateful for the chance. Well, it struck me as kind of unique Yoda story in that, just like you said, I mean, you really are seeing behind the curtain. It's a much smaller and more personal view, I think, of Yoda than we typically get in stories. So, I mean, that that must have been interesting to explore. Oh, absolutely. You know, it's I I, I look, I love to pat myself on the back, though, but <laughs> I mean, all the credit really should go to, to Dave Filoni. I mean, that was that was the first episode of the show after we saw the theatrical movie. Oh, yeah. And I remember just being delighted by it. Yeah. Exactly as you say, I think you said that well. It is small scale. Yeah. It's just this very intimate thing with, with Yoda and the clones. And I think it set some of the Clone Wars' most interesting themes in motion in a really wonderful way. Yeah. So, yeah, I knew immediately that was the episode I wanted to do for so many reasons. And why do you think that series, the, the animated series, why do you think that has struck such a chord with fans? Because it seems like leading up to it, just in my memories, people were kind of skeptical about it. And when they released that theatrical version, I feel like the, the reviews for that were very mixed, though. I always liked it. But why do you think that series has landed so well for people? I think it was a chance to do something we hadn't seen Star Wars ever do, True. Uh, particularly on screen. You know, and now I mean, we live in a, in a golden age of television. and <laughs> But I think as Star Wars fans, we had to get used to that a little bit. Yeah. Um, again, and speaking on screen entertainment, we were used to the idea that you got a new story every three years. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And the idea of a much longer story unfolding week by week was new to us. Yeah. And that's what I think Clone Wars does so well is in particularly in, in engaging with these wonderful characters with Anakin and Obi-Wan, of course, but also with, you know, Ahsoka, with Maul, with Satine. You know, it was just a different pace and yeah. ability to go far, far deeper. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I, you know, I don't think that's particularly a surprise for TV. I mean, we've seen uh, things do that really well since The Sopranos, uh, et cetera. Yeah. But it was new for Star Wars. Definitely. And, um, yeah. And, you know, and I think the uh, you mentioned the movie. I think, yeah, the movie didn't serve that goal particularly well uh, because it was just, you know, four episodes smashed mm-hmm. into a movie and mm-hmm. put up there as a discrete thing. Um, you know, that was the old approach. I think those episodes work much better when you see them in the overall arc of the show. Yeah, that but, makes uh, sense. Yeah, I just, I just, I loved that show so much. And oh, and getting to see it come back. Yeah, that was a surprise. Was so much fun. Yeah. So to play a little role in it, that was a treat. Definitely. Now, were you a fan of the old, uh, like the Ewoks and Droids animated series from forever ago? I had Droids episodes on a VHS tape and I wore that VHS tape out. <laughs> you know, I didn't get to see them nearly as much because yeah. they were um, they were really they were hard to find Definitely. on video. And then, you know, it was a long time before kind of the YouTube era yeah. <laughs> started up. But the droids episodes in particular, I did really like. But, yeah. You know, one thing I, I remind fans of, though, I mean, it, it makes me sound like old man of the mountain. But, you know, <laughs> here I am because I, I, I kind of am by now. But, um, you know, it's it's so amazing to think back to that era where when we were really lucky there was like a book every couple of years yeah. and there was the marvel comic and you know if you subscribe to the right newspaper there was the newspaper comic but that was that was really it yeah and you know to have what we have now in terms of you know books comics video games uh tv movies oh my goodness i mean th- this is the the world that my younger self wanted and didn't think yes. would ever exist <laughs> for star wars well, and it kind of is is a similar situation with like the, the dark ages of Star Trek compared to yeah. you know what you have now. So it's nice it's nice to see things come back. When did your association with Star Wars begin? Like, what was the first project you worked on? Oh goodness, way 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 back. I was a yeah, I'd been a been a fan since nineteen seventy seven. Mm-hmm. I was was eight years old when uh, New Hope came out, which is just was the absolutely perfect age to be hooked for life. Oh, definitely. Oh, yeah. And um, so I was a fan for years and years. But I I got back then there was there was kind of a vetting process with Lucasfilm. I want to say this is like 97, 98. OK, uh, I got vetted actually to write for the, the Star Wars Adventure Journal by West End Games. Oh, OK. Uh, going way, way. Back. Yeah. And so I got approved. And my friend. Dan Wallace is a really, really wonderful Star Wars uh, writer with a whole lot of, of credits to his name. Mm-hmm. Dan and I were going to write like this this in-depth feature on, I don't remember if it was the, the Corellian sector around Han's homeworld or okay. the Mandalorian sector, but or maybe it was both. That's what we were aiming for because we also both love geography. So I got vetted and then the, um, the Adventure Journal closed up. And West End Games uh, filed for bankruptcy. They were actually, believe it or not, they were actually basically kind of a shoe company with (laughs) this offshoot into role-playing games. It was very strange. (laughs) And I was like, oh, that was, I was heartbroken. I was like, that was my chance and I missed it. But I'd already been vetted. So I came back and I did some stuff for 
Wizards of the Coast when they picked up the license. And then my big break was I became the books columnist for the uh, Star Wars Insider. Oh, which, okay. Yeah, which turned out to be also a really, really wonderful apprenticeship because I'd always wanted to write. And every month I would talk to uh, one of the Star Wars novelists yeah. about what they did. So it was an, an amazing opportunity to get to, get to um, talk shop with yeah. some really talented people and get to know all the publishers, et cetera. Oh, yeah. And, what, what a way to get your foot in the door. I mean, talk, talking to all the people who are doing the jobs that you're interested in. Yeah, exactly. No, they would actually kind of pay me to go to school. <laughs> yeah. It's a wonderful deal. Yeah, well, nice work if um, you can get it. Yeah, and, and from there, I just took, you know, I took every gig I could get with Star Wars and just gradually, you know, got to do, you know, show them I was reliable and could keep secrets and got to do more and more things. And I've, I've never stopped. And as long as they let me keep going, I never will. <laughs> All right. Now, I, I said early on that, that your output for Star Wars is so it's it's vast and it's varied. You know, you're, you're doing you're doing full length adult novels, you know, Last Jedi novelization, that sort of thing. You're also doing children's books. You're doing the tie in stuff like B Bomber Command or, or Ray's Survival Guide. What's that like? I mean, how do those assignments come in? How do you approach them differently? Like it just it seems like kind of a unique role you play. Yeah, um, I really like. I think it. I think the the range you talk about would drive some people crazy, but I really <laughs> yeah. like it, and I actually find it uh, energizing. I mean, the life of a freelance writer is you're you're almost always doing multiple things at once, or else you're probably not going to be able to pay the bills. Yeah. Um, but I find if I'm doing two projects that are really different um, in approach, et cetera, that you know the one will sort of recharge the other. Yeah. Uh, which is really is great. It is exactly what you need. Plus, I mean, you know, I just I, I love all of it. I mean, my training is as a, a journalist. I was a, a reporter editor for the Wall Street Journal's online arm for oh, years. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, so you know, I'm fast. <laughs> I work on deadline, etc. But um, you know, because of that, I'm you know I'm I'm pretty comfortable. I'm comfortable with fiction. Yeah. Uh, through my own hobbies. That's obviously a no, no in journalism, um, right. but you know, and I'm comfortable with, with nonfiction and how to approach it, uh, et cetera. But you know, the common theme is star Wars and I just love telling stories and explaining stuff and bringing things to life, whether that's in a fiction setting or in star Wars, I like to call it kind of nonfiction fiction, mm -hmm. exploring yeah. the, the lore. Those, um, are, those are so popular. You know, I mean, we, we have, we have a ton, oh, yeah. we have a ton of your stuff. We have a ton of, any of that sort of like, look at all the vehicles from Star Wars, look at all these, you know, and, and they just fly off the shelves. We can't keep them in stock. Oh, yeah. No, it's, yeah, I, I get to write the kind of books I wanted yeah. uh, so much oh, as, yeah. a, as a kid, as a teenager, and that's fun to do. You know, give, give me a story I can tell or a, um, you know, let me walk people through this this amazing universe we all love in, in some way that's interesting, and I'll, you know, and I'm, I'm incredibly happy. Yeah. Well, it's interesting that you started in journalism. How happy are you in this moment in time to not be working as a journalist? <laughs> <laughs> um, I actually did just do, I actually did just get to write a wonderful profile of a, um, a longtime China scholar. So it was actually, oh, okay. it was nice to scratch that itch. So yeah. I'm not totally out of it. Okay. But yeah, this is tough times for, for journalists, I, yes. obviously, yeah, which is. Absolutely. Um, a tragedy because we, you know, we desperately need, um, we desperately need a robust press. Right I now. wholeheartedly agree. Yes, yeah. you're absolutely right. Um, but you know, there we are. We'll, you know, I mean, we're gonna we're gonna find a model for that to work. But I think there's gonna be a lot of um, 
a lot of pain and a lot of bad things will happen until we do. Mm-hmm. But, you know, for now, I, I, I will keep my hand in on that where I see something interesting to do. But um, but yeah, it was it was not a bad bit of timing going over to the, uh, to <laughs> the fiction world. Yeah. It's, it's a little healthier. Yeah, it sounds like it. it sounds like it was just the right time. Now, before we move on from Star Wars, I want to ask you a little bit about the Last Jedi novelization. Because I love a good novelization. You know, I've, I've read many. I feel like novelizations are the thing that got me to be a big reader when I was a kid because I just wanted more of that thing I liked. Um, oh, your, your novelization of The Last Jedi, that must have been an interesting experience because that, I think, I'm pretty confident in saying that The Last Jedi is the most polarizing entry in Star Wars. So what was it like working on that book? It was great. The first day I really plunged into it was um, I went out to Skywalker Ranch where I'd never been uh, and sat down with Ryan Johnson, which was kind of two oh, wow. amazing things in one day. Yeah, it was definitely. a little dizzying to be honest. Sure. And, um, but Ryan was amazing. He actually was a big fan of novelizations, okay. which I would not necessarily have expected in the director, but his yeah. reason was that was his way of engaging with a lot of movies that yep. he wasn't allowed to see because yep. he was, when he was too young as a kid. So he really respected the form, and it was important to him, which was a great vote of confidence. And yeah, that is nice. Yeah, and another great thing is that you know Ryan was for Last Jedi not just the director but also the writer. Yeah. So he really, it really was his vision um, for uh, from the core. So he sat down with me, and we went over parts of the story and uh, the characters' motivations, and. Um, you know, even talked about some tricky spots and how the novelization might handle it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he was he was unbelievably generous. I really couldn't have asked for more. One of the first things he did, he said, you know, I'm going to make sure you have all the major iterations of the script. Oh, and, that's nice. Yeah. And anything you, you know, you think would be useful to you, you know, go for it, um, which you know, is was my first go around as a novelizer, but I, I'm reasonably confident that that's not what every director would have said. Yeah. So he was really generous, and he he trusted me with his story, for which I'm very grateful. Um, yeah. He also said something which has become one of my commandments for all fiction. <laughs> um, we were talking about how the Last Jedi is full of kind of weighty material and big kind of fateful events, and yeah. uh, you know, he said he knew that, but he always wanted to make sure that on screen you're never more than a, a couple minutes away from, you know, something lighter from something oh, yeah. um, light and, and, you know, having that kind of flash Gordon classic star Wars <laughs> feel. And he called that lift, not drag, oh. which I thought was wonderful. And I think it's great, great advice for any kind of fiction like this. Um, so that's become one of my, one of my kind of North stars lift, not drag. And I use that for, for all my own stuff too. It's great advice. Yeah. Now, I wanted to ask you, too, because this this novelization was promoted as an extended edition, and mm-hmm. I, I feel like maybe maybe the others two were as well, Force Awakens and Rise of Skywalker. When I was speaking to Alan Dean Foster last year, he was saying that he had to keep it pretty tight to the script and didn't have a lot of chance to diverge. But I feel like out of the three, The Last Jedi has a lot of original material, not from the movie. Was that yours? Was that something that came from scripts that were cut out? How did, how did that come together? Uh, it was all a mix. Okay. Um, some of it were my ideas, like the opening, which is, you know, I, I certainly attracted a fair amount of attention when the book came out. That was all my idea. Yeah. But again, okay. thought of it as hopefully really tying into the themes of the book. Uh, some of it, particularly where we got to extend dialogue, was um, was from 
uh, earlier versions of the script. Okay. Uh, one thing we did that was helpful here, uh, I sat down with the, the folks in Lucasfilm Disney Publishing, and we made kind of this, this master Excel sheet of the story that included some stuff uh, that would be in other adaptations, et cetera. Mm. And we did that for a couple of reasons. We wanted to make sure that every adaptation had a couple of things that were unique to it. But we also, that was a chance for us to see the full arc of the story and also think about some additional scenes that we wanted yeah. that we thought would work pretty well in a novelization, but might not work somewhere else. So that was kind of a, a master document that we used. Okay. It is interesting, though, like, you know, some of that stuff made it through and got in and got published and other stuff along the way. We we changed our minds and decided that was not the way to go. Oh, OK. So, um, yeah. But and that's always the way. But it's it's always interesting for, for me to look back at. And, um, you know, fans, of course, because I'm certainly one you know, are always like, you know, they hear about something we didn't do for, for TLJ and they're like, Oh God, I want that. And mm. I'm always like, well, there are reasons we took that out. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, but that's always part of the process and one of the more, and one of the more interesting parts of it to me. Well, I think just, just as you were saying with, uh, you're adapting the Yoda story for, um, the, the Clone Wars anthology was one of the things you get to do in something like a novelization is see an internal monologue that you don't get on the screen, you know, so it allows you to go deeper in a way. And I feel like, you know, you, you definitely achieved that in The Last Jedi. Yeah, no, that's, that was something I, I that when I sat down with, um, at the beginning to think about this book, that was something that I thought about a lot was, you know, I don't have John Williams score. I don't have right. the sound effects. I don't have all those things that, that are so unbelievable. But what I do have is the ability to go into the characters' heads, yeah. uh, into their backstories, et cetera. It was interesting. There was, um, there was one thing in that movie that was really, really tricky. It's the scene where Ray is in the, Seeing the reflections and things. She, yeah, and we go into a voiceover. Yeah, and you know, on screen, it's a visual storytelling. Yeah, like when we've all seen enough movies, we know when you go into a voiceover that you're you're jumping ahead in time, right? And the narrator is reviewing something, and on screen, the, the visual shock there is she's she's being very vulnerable and telling the story, and then the screen shows us she's telling it to Kylo mm -hmm. to Ben Solo. Mm -hmm. Like, that's the surprise. But if you think about that, that's entirely visual. Yeah. And I was like, I got to that point and I was like, how do I do that in a novelization? Because I don't have that toolkit. How do I translate that scene? That was the most challenging part of that. And gosh, I walked around my house for like two or three days muttering, trying to figure <laughs> out how to crack that one. But, you know, that that's super fun. That was an amazing challenge to try to figure out. Yeah, and I feel like, you know, what you're saying about no sound effects and no music, I feel like if you're a fan of Star Wars, you hear the sound effects and music regardless of whether or not they're there. So I think, you know, readers are able to fill that out in their minds. Well, I love that you said that. That's one of my <laughs> tests for myself, actually. Yeah. <laughs> if I'm writing Star Wars and I get lost, the way I can I can tell myself that is, like, I can't hear the John Williams music. Yep. Yep. And if that... It's where I get, I need to think, why Why can't I hear that? And then kind of reset and get it right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, that would be a good that would be a good guiding light. The, that John Williams score is iconic for a reason. 
Oh, yeah. Uh, switching gears a little bit, you recently made me uh, cooler in the eyes of my son because we made a rare trip to the store the other day, and your book, Minecraft The Voyage, was on the shelf. And I said, hey, I'm going to be talking to the, the man who wrote that for the library. And he was just like, stop everything. What? <laughs> he was oh, he awesome. was, he was very impressed and very excited. Uh, he's, he's in first grade and, and just loves Minecraft. So let's talk a little bit about that. What, what was it like writing in the, the Minecraft world? Oh my goodness. It was such a treat. I was not hugely familiar with Minecraft yeah. and was, and kind of plunged in and thought I'd, f I'll figure it out and, and, and still play Minecraft sometimes more than I should when I have things <laughs> I need to be doing, but Oh goodness. I just, I just love it. And, um, the one thing that was really fun about that story for me was I, you know, I've never been a huge video gamer, but okay. I you know, played a lot at various points back in the day. And what I really loved about video games uh, as a kid and as a young adult was when I could kind of sink into the story enough that my subconscious would kind of start making storylines out of it. Mm even if there wasn't this big kind of program story you followed along. And that's what I just loved. And so when, in writing that book, the first thing I did was I just, I just played for like five, six weeks. Mm -hmm. And that's absolutely what I was trying to do. I was trying to get to the point where my mind would start kind of spinning stories on its own, almost without me intervening yeah. and start thinking of them. And I, I just, I love that kind of freewheeling unconscious storytelling engine, whatever it is. And so that, that's what I did. And in little bits and pieces, the idea of Stax's story and what would happen to him and what he would be doing kind of started to come to light uh, to the point where I could engage with it as a book. But um, it was also, it was great. I, I, I'm a super night owl. And okay. my, my wife would get up in the middle of the night, you know, to go to the bathroom or whatever. And she'd kind of peer at me in my room and she'd be like, what are you doing? Are you playing Minecraft again? <laughs> and I'd be like, I'm working. And it was actually true. Yeah. So, you know, that was a, that was a pretty awesome thing to get to try it out. Now, was but, the, uh, was the openness of Minecraft because I mean, in, in the, in the traditional game, there's no real mm -hmm. storyline. It's, it's just so, so broad and open. Was it difficult to find like your entry point into that? Or did you just sort of get in the groove of, of what was happening with the feel of the game and go from there? No, it really wasn't. Um, you know, I knew I the story came to me, and I was interested in the character in the character I thought of, and um, I'd also I wanted I'd been reading uh, rereading The Hobbit, which I love. Oh, okay, and I liked the idea. I liked the idea of a hero who's really not supposed to be the hero and really isn't cut out for this. Mm -hmm. um, and there's, so there's a little bit of there's a little bit of the Hobbit in the voyage, mm -hmm. um, and. Uh, I also, from that book, I, I wanted to pay homage to that by using that sort of old time feel like you get in Victorian storytelling where, you know, each chapter begins with a little preview of what you're going to see. Mm -hmm. But it was a blast. I mean, it was a wonderful editor, uh, Sarah Del Rey, and also, but also working with the Minecraft folks. They were, they were great. You know, they helped me. They, we wanted to not violate the mechanics of the game yeah. in the book. Yeah. But at the same time, they, they were really wonderful with helping me navigate where that got a little tricky mm -hmm. and you know how could i be true to that and also uh, also tell this story yeah um uh, it was so much fun were you familiar with it at all or did you start playing when you got the assignment no i plunged in when i got the assignment. okay so it was all right so really learning yeah, on your feet there I'm, in the world of I, minecraft 
it's amazing. I'm so all in now. I'm like, I'm like, I need to, I need to do the caves and cliffs snapshot and get amethyst. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we certainly did some building. We we've uh, lately been playing the new Minecraft dungeons, which is a little bit more of there's, yeah. there's a bit more of a story. So they're uh, they don't show any signs of stopping. That's big business. No, and there's a Star Wars DLC now. Yeah, it's yeah, a, yeah, yeah. All, it's all 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 things come together. I if guess you're, so. If you're patient. Yeah, you're right. I want to talk a little bit about Jupiter Pirates. So this is a this is you're up to four books in the series now, right? Uh, I'm working on the story treatment for the fourth one. Okay, right now. All right. Yeah. So I, I read Hunt for Hydra, and I had a good time with it. I really appreciated the, the multi-generational approach that you're doing. Uh, can you tell a little bit about the story and, and just, you know, f- fill people in on that? Sure. Uh, yeah, Jupiter Pirates is a story of a – It's a they're a family of space pirates, though they're now technically privateers, which is kind of uh, quasi-legal pirates. Right, right. It's set in the 29th century. They, their home is Callisto, a planet uh, that's a moon of Jupiter. And um, Earth is the bad guy in the series. And the, and the Hashuns, that's the family, are privateers working for the Jovian Union, okay. uh, the outer moons of the solar system. And um, But the I- idea I had was I wanted a family of space pirates. And I had kind of the... The, the basics of the idea were there from the beginning. The mother was the captain, the father was the first mate, and the children were midshipmen, were mm-hmm. crewmates together. But the engine of the book is that, you know, that means they have to cooperate as a starship crew. They have to keep, help keep each other alive on dangerous missions. But they're also competitors because the family starship gets handed down from one generation to the next, yeah. and only one of the kids will be chosen to be the next captain. And I really and, liked that element. I thought that yeah. that added that added a level of stakes, you know, that you might not otherwise have because it does force that little bit of, of like you're saying, com- competition. Yeah, and I think it's a dynamic that everyone knows, sure. even if you don't have siblings, like, you know, that you're, you know, your your brothers and sisters, you love them, but they sometimes drive you insane mm-hmm. and, you know, you're competing with them for things, but, you know, you're in this together. So yeah, that was just it was that was just a really fun thing to explore. And then also I've always loved pirate stuff. So yeah. you got to layer in, you know, buried treasure and battles and um, you know, how it works between like the captain and the below decks crew mm-hmm. and, and all that good stuff. So yeah, it's been really it's been really satisfying going back to that series and figuring out the fourth book. And I'm I'm almost done mark, working my way through what the plot will be and then hopefully sometime in the next few months get to dive into the writing of that. Nice. Well, you know what I what I thought was fun about it is is it definitely has that swashbuckling vibe like you're talking about. And I think, you know, with a family, you you, you see a little bit of like a Lost in Space vibe that pops in every once in a while, a little bit of Star Trek mixed in, but what I think it succeeds at is really carving out its own unique niche. You know, I don't really think it it fits in any one category. It's just sort of wholly its own thing. And I, I would think that would be hard to do at this point. Yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's um, I'll tell a funny story about, you know, how that book has, has been presented. Um, another big influence, I love the Patrick O'Brien books, the Aubrey uh, Matterin series. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Love those books. In fact, my wife and I were just watching uh, Master and Commander, yep. the wonderful movie of that last night. Uh, I love those books. And so those were a big influence. But the other thing I'd, I'd been watching back when I thought of Jupiter Pirates was The Sopranos. Okay. Um, and I watched The Sopranos like three years after it was done. Uh-huh. 
And so I was like full of Sopranos talk that I wanted to share with people. And everybody else was like, we watched yeah, that we... like a long time ago. Like, what are you, <laughs> that what are you train doing? has left the station three years. Later. Yeah. So I, exactly. So I didn't have anybody to talk Sopranos with. And, and so the funny thing was that kind of came out in Jupiter pirates. Like it's not, it doesn't have bad words and it's, it's thankfully not nearly as violent, but it's sort of the same thing. A family trying yeah. to navigate what they've been and what they're becoming and how to get from the one to the other is really tough. So when when Harper Collins uh, brought the books out, they build them as uh, Battlestar Galactica oh. um, meets Treasure Island, huh. and I was like, you know, that's absolutely right. But what they really are is Patrick <laughs> O'Brien meets The Sopranos. But I was like, I could see why they didn't think books. that would sell and, as well. Yeah, to the put way that. you said it makes a lot more sense. So let's do that. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, I mean, now that you say that, I can see what you mean. But I don't think I would have thought. You know what? This reminds me of. <laughs> The HBO yeah, series, The Sopranos. Really, yeah, not not the way to bring them to kids. Yeah. So yeah, if, if you're listening to this and you have kids, it's fine. It's not like having them watch The Sopranos unsupervised, I promise. What <laughs> what age would you say that's aimed towards? Like, Is it like the 8 to 12 range, or would you say like teens? You know, I think it's one of those series where, I mean, as you know, as you know so well, also every kid is different. Yes. Um, I think slash hope it's one of those series you can start on it at eight to 12, mm-hmm. but I think the books, not in terms of language, but in terms of all the, um, the issues and, and plots that get thrown in the mix, I think the books get more complicated as they go mm-hmm. along. So I think it's a series that you can age with. Um, and you know, I like to say they work eight to 80 and, and I hope that's true. Yeah. Well, I, my son, like I said, is first grade, he's six and, and we read a, quite a bit of it. I read it out loud. We read it together and you know, the swashbuckling aspects of it, you know, that, that adventure he was really into. And the, once you get into the more deeper dynamics, like he wasn't picking up on that stuff, but I was yeah. so like it kind of, yeah. it worked nicely for both of us. Oh, that's great. So you're working on book four now, and what what else do you have? Is there anything else you can uh, you can tease us with uh, as far as upcoming projects? Yeah, the uh, I always have to think. This is the the life of being a Star Wars writer. You always have to think, what am I working on? What's been announced? Right, <laughs> and you know, get not get yourself in trouble. Yeah, um, say just yeah, enough to not fun. tick off Mickey Mouse is is what you have to do. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, a really fun thing I know has been announced. I just did, I have om- almost done with a revisiting a book that's really dear to my heart, the Clone Wars character encyclopedia. Okay, sure. Um, we're, we've done a completely new uh, reimagining of that for, for DK. Mm-hmm. That has been, been so much fun. We wrote the original one, I think, three seasons in. Okay. And um, this is, is reimagined for the entire show with mm-hmm. many more characters and, and um, you know, a whole lot more to cover. And it's, it's been so much fun going back to that book for a couple reasons. And one of them is that that was the book that when I would go to bookstores or to conventions, like people would come up to me with just battered copies of it falling yeah. apart. Yes. And I'd always apologize for the conditions book. And, and I'd be like, I'd be like, Oh goodness, please don't apologize for that. That means this book has been well loved. Yeah. And that's, you know, the nicest compliment an author can get. But yeah. A couple of times, uh, parents told me, like, you know, my my son or daughter didn't really like to read, you know, until she picked up this book, and now she reads everything. Yeah. And that was what I that last part was what I really loved to hear. 
books were so important to me as a kid mm-hmm. and you know made such a difference in my life that to get to think that something I wrote has helped somebody else um, along that road, that was that was really humbling and, and really gratifying and, yeah. and just so nice to hear. It reminded me of, of why we do this. That's the thing. I mean, gateways are so important to, to get a kid interested in reading. It, it, I think these, you're absolutely right with these DK style books. It could be graphic novels. It can be novelizations like it was for me. But in our experience at the library, the interests in those type of books, the DK books, like your Clone Wars Encyclopedia, the interests far outlast the strength of the binding. So <laughs> the, cop- <laughs> the copies on our shelves really are. It's just like, take this with a rubber band, you know, until the new copy comes in because kids just devour them. Kids and adults. They're the perfect uh, coffee table book or the perfect thing to just like sit in your bedroom with a flashlight when you're a kid, you know, looking at, oh, so that's what that thing is. So yeah, I think they're great. Yeah, no, I, I love that. I'm if, With your permission, I might steal that line. Like, yes. Yeah, the, the interest outlasts the strength of the body. Yeah, that's please. exactly. Thank you. Do you have something, so you have a pretty vast uh, collection of work here, and I'm always curious what, as an author, you would like someone's introduction to your work to be. Is there one that kind of comes back into your head or you'd think, uh, yeah, start here? Uh, yeah, no, that's, that's a great question. There are a couple of entry points. I think the the best book I've ever written, by which I mean the book that made it into the world closest to the kind of perfect book I had in my mind that you never quite get to write, that would be Curse of the Iris, the second Jupiter Pirates book. Okay. Um, which I think, you know, in, in I really like Hunt for the Hydra, the first book, but I was still kind of feeling my way into the story and the world. Mm-hmm. Um, but Curse of the Iris, I, I really had, you know, I had all that down and I think it, I think it, it really works. Okay. And I, it, interestingly, I think for, if you're a newcomer to that series, I think you could dive right in with Curse of the Iris. I oh, okay. Well, that's fine. good to know. Yeah. And, um, that one, the, a series I really love for Star Wars, I wrote a four book, uh, series for Disney, uh, Lucasfilm Press called Servants of the Empire, which is tied into Rebels. And that was an enormous amount of fun. It mm. does it in it includes events from a couple of episodes of the show. Okay, but it's really its own story about uh, Zare Leonis, who's a, an Imperial cadet who um, Ezra Bridger runs into. And I got to explore a lot of really interesting things there, and and tell a, a really fun story with characters I fell in love with. So yeah. And that one, like you know, like others, is you know, eight to twelve. I think it works if you're eighteen or fifty-eight or whatever as well. Yeah. So yeah, I would you know, if you're a newcomer, I, I'd try those. Or, you know, I'm also very proud of that Minecraft book. Yeah. That, okay. That's a hopefully a, a something that you can curl up with and be and be entertained for a few hours. Oh yeah. Okay. Well, hey, Jason, thank you so much for your time today. This has been a lot of fun. I've really enjoyed the chat. Yeah, no, thank you. This has been wonderful. I really appreciate your time. All right, thanks. My thanks again to author Jason Fry. I really enjoyed the conversation, and now I realize I need to check out that Star Wars Rebels series. Rebels is a show that I feel like got stuck in the shadow of Clone Wars, even though it's great. It's probably my favorite of the Star Wars series that's out there, so I definitely want to check that out. 
If you haven't read any of Jason Fry's works, we've got tons of them here at the David A. Howe Public Library, and there's also some available digitally through Libby, so I hope you'll check them out there. Also, keep an eye out for his new updated Clone Wars encyclopedia that's coming out. We'll certainly have that, probably a few copies. And also keep an eye out for the fourth book in the Jupiter Pilot series, which is currently in process. Until then, you can find Jason online at jupiterpirates.com, follow him at Twitter at Jason C. Fry, or visit his website, Jason Fry's Dorkery, at jasonfry.tumblr.com. We'll see you next time here on House Things. Thank you.